Early Monday morning is often a time when I talk with my son Chris on the phone. He lives in Hong Kong, which is about uh, 12, 13 hours ahead. So there are times when we chat that I am eating uh, my breakfast and he is eating his supper. Last Monday, we talked about a wide variety of uh, topics, including his most recent hike in Hong Kong, the pros and cons of electric versus hydrogen-fueled vehicles, the status of COVID-19 in Hong Kong and in Saskatoon, U.S.-China relations, and how extreme political perspectives are fueling breakdowns between friends, families, and neighbors. As we talk more on the topic of the politics of division, I at one point marveled at how two people can look at the same issue, an event, or a thing, and see something completely different, and respond in a completely different way. Let's take the simple example of a face covering. What do you see? One person will look at it and see it as a tool to reduce the spread of COVID. Another person, like these protesters in Regina and Saskatoon in summer, will look at the exact same face covering and see it as a sign of fear or another attempt by the government to take away our freedoms. Here we are in the same province, breathing the same air, walking the same streets, but living in two completely different worlds. Rest assured, I'm not going to talk about masks this morning although I will return to it briefly at the end. I suspect most everyone is quite tired of how COVID this and COVID that dominates all of our conversations. I don't want to spend my time talking about masks because this is my time to talk about the gospel. But I'm using the often divisive conversation over mask coverings as an example about a much larger question, the real question. What is the truth? In what world is wearing a mask a good thing? In what world is wearing a mask a bad thing? Who defines what is the world to which we are supposed to adjust, adapt, and conform. We do live in a world of divisive politics, lies and falsehood. But when we gather here in this church to sing, pray, listen, and ponder the words of the Bible, we are confronted by a profoundly different world than the one we live in during the week. Sometimes the world of the Bible will be comforting, while at other times 
not so much. But that's the tension between, or the tension of confrontation, the experience of being caught in the crossfire of the debate over what is real. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by, by the renewing of your minds. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this unreal world in which we live, but be transformed to the real world now that Christ has come. That's our text. Right up front, let's be honest and admit that we're all gathered here in the church on the cusp of fall to engage in a debate over what is real and what is normal. To be blunt, I make the assumption every week as I prepare my sermon that you come to church to be shaped, formed, molded by the gospel so that during the week you are better equipped to act, speak, and live as disciples of Jesus. In other words, you come to church each week to be converted, changed, transformed, so that during the week you can present your bodies as a sacrifice to God. Like those hockey players during the Stanley Cup playoffs offer up their bodies by falling down in front of slap shots from the blue line in order to protect the goal or their goalie. So too, we disciples of Jesus offer up ourselves, body, soul, and mind, as a sacrifice to God during the week as our act of worship. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. This word transformed in Greek is metamorpho. This is where we get our English word metamorphos from. It means to be changed, transformed from one thing into another. A worm into a cocoon is mysteriously transformed into a beautiful butterfly. We say this is metamorphosis. A worm is transformed, becomes something completely different. Or a tadpole is mysteriously transformed, becoming a frog. Or sedimentary rock underneath the earth is exposed to tremendous heat pressure and chemical fluids over a long period of time is transformed into metamorphic rock. I assume you come to church because you don't want to be conformed to this world, but you want to be transformed by the gospel. You want to grow in your faith. You want to be converted, molded, shaped, changed more into Christ our Lord.
Of course, much of the rest of the world also wants to convert you to their reality, to their view of the world. Today, many people, most people, get their news and information not from the TV or newspapers, but from social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. While there is some great and useful information on these platforms, like, well, I think our worship service on YouTube is not too bad. But there's also a great deal of misinformation, half-truths, and outright lies, too. Take, for example, this Facebook post back in 2016. And the headline was, Sweden has discontinued the tradition of adorning street poles with street lights to avoid angering Muslim refugees. This created a huge uproar and an anti-Muslim backlash. But let me be clear, this headline was not true. What did happen was that the Swedish Transport Administration issued a press release saying it would no longer allow municipalities to hang Christmas lights from the public utility poles, citing two reasons. First, the law didn't authorize the, air, the agency to share its electricity with unauthorized users. And second, the poles weren't designed to bear all the extra weight. So all the Christmas decorations became a safety hazard. That was the official press release. Now someone, or some group, took that headline and twisted it, twisted the original story and turned it into an anti-Muslim headline. No doubt to sow fear and anger against Muslims. And because those online platforms made sharing of information so quick and easy, this story spread like wildfire. Today, there are even some Christians who have been fooled by online conspiracy theories, which falsely say there is no virus pandemic, but it's the government's attempt to try to close churches. While we live in this wonderful, beautiful world, there's also a dark side to it as well. All of us have got to figure out, find a way to navigate and live in it. We've got to learn to discern truth from half-truths, misinformation, and downright lies. In our Exodus reading, Pharaoh tried to commit genocide against the Hebrew slaves, but two midwives hadn't conformed to Pharaoh's view of the world, Pharaoh's view of reality. And as a result, these two women, Shipra and Puah, carried out an act of civil disobedience by refusing to kill the Hebrew baby boys. 
By coming to worship on Sunday morning, you expose yourself to an upside-down world, view of the world, to a divine and subversive power, simply because it's true, while other powers are not. We are talking, of course, about God. God has flipped the world on its head in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Something profound, decisive, earth-shifting has been worked by God in the cosmos through the resurrection of Jesus. Paul announces that a powerless young Jew turned what is and what is not real on its head. Before the self-serving spirits of the world, Jesus countered, if you want to find your life, you must first lose it. Seek first the kingdom of God, then all things will be added. Forgive others, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And then he proceeded in the most unconventional way, healing those who were ill, telling the truth, feeding the hungry, confronting and loving his enemies, raising the dead, caring for the poor and the weak, that the powers of the world simply had to put him to death. And for a time it seemed that the spirits of this world had won, namely that death had been victorious. Jesus was dead and buried, yet and yet among his paralyzed followers who were sitting in fear behind locked doors, he returned in power, having battled the principalities and powers and defeated them once and for all. And a new world was dawning in the middle of the old. And his once disheartened dis disciples exploded forth into the world saying, it's a whole new world, friends. God has won. This is the reality. This is the power that we have access to. The power, Paul says, that we are to be conformed to. The power that we are to allow to transform us. This is the world God calls you and I to live in. The problem is that there are some who think that this new world is only as big as one's heart or soul. My soul is saved, they say. Now I'm ready to go to heaven. Leave behind this sorry and broken world. Then there are adults who think that since they're already grown up and mature that they don't need any more growing or maturing to do. No, being transformed is a lifelong process of change and spiritual growth. It takes a lifetime to fathom Jesus. It takes a lifetime to appropriate Jesus. It takes a lifetime to learn to be a little bit more like Jesus. I asked Shirley to read up to Romans 12, verse 8. And had, had I asked her to read on, which would have been another 14 verses or so, which I thought would be really, really long, she would have read a long list of spiritual disciplines that Paul encouraged 
the Roman church to engage in. Listen to some of that list of Christian disciplines. Love one another. Serve the Lord. Be patient in suffering. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Do not be overcome. Do not overcome. Be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Just to name a few. Now, at first glance, these spiritual disciplines sound rather quaint and benign because we've heard them so often, again and again. But let me remind you how odd they sound to those outside the church, and at times, how odd they sound to people even in the church. In the 18th century United States, it was assumed that having black slaves was a normal thing to do. John Woolman, a Quaker, came to believe that everyone was created in the image of God, and it wasn't right for anyone, especially a Quaker, to own slaves. And so he made it his goal to rid slavery within the Quaker community. So when Woolman raised the issue with his Quaker people or with others, everyone thought he was, well, to use the most colorful phrase I heard this week from Ontario Premier Doug Ford, a few fries short of a Happy Meal. But Woolman persisted, traveling up and down the U.S. East Coast by foot or horseback for over 30 years, visiting Quaker slave owners with the gentle yet firm message that enslaving people who God created in God's own image wasn't right. The Quakers were the first religious group in the United States to formally denounce and forbid slavery among its members. Being transformed by the gospel is a lifelong journey of following Jesus, of putting one's faith into practice, putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. Many years ago, when Kathy and I lived in Taiwan, we witnessed an unfair fight between three people, two people on one side and one person on the other, on a fairly busy street. Kathy urged me to do something as no one else was getting involved, and I wasn't totally convinced that I should actually do something, but she urged me, and so I ran over and, I don't know, tried to get in the middle. Thankfully, it wasn't a gang fight, and I didn't encounter any weapons. But my presence helped to stop the punching and the kicking, and the people just started yelling at each other. And soon others came, and then the fight quickly ended. And as we left, a woman came up to us and asked why we did what we did. And we simply said, well, we're Christians, and Jesus calls us to peace not violence. 
The woman looked at us as if we came from another planet. When someone obeys Christ and forgives an enemy, or loves the poor, or speaks up for the voiceless, are they going against what's real? Or showing the world what things look like when someone conforms to the new reality offered in Christ? I'll admit that I wear a mask when I go into a store or a place where I know I can't keep a two-meter distance. I do it not because the government tells me to do it, although I certainly agree with our chief medical health officer, Dr. Shakib Shahab, when he says that wearing a mask is a simple thing to do. You put it on when you're indoors in a public place. Afterwards, you take it off. It's a simple act. Our health care workers, providers, and people who work in grocery stores have been doing this without complaining for the last seven months. That's a good way to look at it. In what world is wearing a mask a good thing? I choose to wear a mask because of my faith. As a Christian, I am part of a much larger community. I do wear a mask not only to protect myself from others who may have COVID-19, but I also wear a mask to protect others from me, just in case I have COVID but am asymptomatic, that is, don't have any obvious symptoms. Sure, it's sometimes uncomfortable. I tell you, it was very strange donning a mask when I went into the bank a couple of months ago. It's not something you normally do. And yes, my glasses sometimes fog up. But I do it because, in Jesus, because Jesus invites me, calls me to live, not just for myself, but for others. Part of loving my neighbor during this pandemic is looking out for the safety and health of the community, which I am but a part of. A simple way of doing that is to don a mask. Paul urges us to be more than just good or nice. Paul reminds us of the new world that has dawned in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and urges us to be transformed to this new reality, living into the world as it is and will be. By following Jesus, we are transformed so that we can live our lives for others as a sacrifice to God. Amen.